We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking champions league recap the epl title race heating up club world cup history the marsh saga surgery huck finn pulisic and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how you doing on this wednesday february 14th in the year 2023. I am doing well, and we are back on track as far as our studio. We are. We, uh, as we mentioned on Monday on the show, we had a little, some technical difficulties, little glitches and shocks to the system, but we have recovered. We have wonderful men and women behind the scenes that came in and got it all sorted out. So the optics are back. Everything is, uh, is good. We got the, uh, everything flying. If you're, if you're watching, you can see. If you're just listening as normal, uh, nothing's really changed for you, but uh, we got the whole you know shebang going on yeah did you watch anything or uh read anything or see anything uh, out there i am often running on my Mossad book i've oh. read the first 60 pages i i too am doing a whole lot more uh book type of reading and that kind of stuff so you know there was this uh this moment during the pandemic where everybody thought they were just going to get to the you know the joke was we're going to get to the bottom of netflix I, I i'm struggling mossy to find stuff right now and you know, I, I, I'm paying probably more than I was before. I mean, they got me the whole bullshit about, you know, the bundling and the, and the, the cut, cord cutting and stuff like that. It's, it was all a bunch of crap, like I said. So I'm paying a whole lot. I got all these different platforms. Uh, Bruce Springsteen had a song years ago. It was like 57 channels and nothing on or something like that. I think it was 57, but he, he was, he was, he was right in the moment and he's right evergreen because there's all of these platforms that I have that I pay for, and I can't find anything now uh, now to watch that's interesting. So I'm probably going to need some uh, suggestions from the folks out there. If you got them, please send them, uh, send them through. You can obviously hit us up on Twitter or the uh, State of the Union podcast hotline. Again, that's 657-549-2297 if you want to tell us that. And we got some questions coming in later on. But books, uh, you mentioned books. So now I got all sorts of stuff that I got flying in. Let me make sure I got all, all these. So I mentioned I'm doing the classics. So uh, I've moved on now to Huck Finn after Grapes of Wrath and the Gatsby stuff. So Huck Finn, um, let's see, the Moby Dick. Oh, I'm struggling, Moby Dick, Mossy. I'm struggling. It's just... It doesn't hit the, the way that I thought it was going to, and especially for a classic. But, And I read it years and years ago, but maybe I'll get into it and maybe it will help. Uh, and then some more contemporary stuff, uh, Rise and Fall, the story of 9-11. I can't get enough of the 9-11 stuff. And I, I, I remind myself to read something, whether it's a book or whether it's an article or to watch a, a documentary uh, periodically just to make sure that, you know, just like I said, to remind myself and to obviously never forget that. Um, but again, it always makes me sad. It always makes me angry. But I think it's also uh, useful as we get further and further away in a whole generation that wasn't even alive and, and doesn't see it the same way that that, that my generation does. Uh, and then a, a book called uh, Woke Inc. by uh, a guy named, uh, what's his name? Vivek, uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he's actually considering a run for... Uh, the presidency on the Republican ticket. Uh, I was just reading an article about that. So that's a, those are the things that I'm reading right now. But from a, a watching perspective, nothing, nothing. It's scorched earth out there, my friend. Well, we've got uh, Ted Lasso and Succession back next month. I saw month, that. So. I saw the, the Ted Lasso. The third season is upon us. And evidently, this is going to be the last season. 
Sounds so they're like just gonna, yep. they're just going to walk away. That's it. Uh, you know, drop the mic and head off. One last thing before yeah. we begin. I notice you are ignoring your critics and unbuttoning. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned this. So uh, some somebody on uh, Twitter, which we know is has their you know their, their finger on the pulse of human beings out there, and uh, is obviously uh, you know very very important in this world, uh, decided to send me a, a, a tweet, uh, and, and you know I, I get criticism that's kind of part and parcel every single day but this one was about the uh the, the plunging of my uh v here and the amount of chest that i was showing okay and you can see all three of my hairs on my chest uh if i pull it down a little bit like that you know mossy i think i've talked about this before my favorite uh aesop's fable is the one about the uh the father the son and the uh, the ass or the donkey uh basically to paraphrase it what what ends up happening? They go to uh, they go to market, and a lot of things happen. But the moral of the story is, uh, if you try to please everybody, you please nobody. And so, this is it, my friend. This, by the way, you're welcome. All right, that you get this uh, that you get this view, whether it's you out there uh, or you across from me here. I'm not changing for you or anybody. This is how this is how I roll, and I roll deep. Okay, I roll deep when it comes to the uh, the plunging neckline and the, and the V. I always have, and uh, and I always will. I'm not changing for everybody. Um, on this show or anywhere else. So, yeah, screw him. <laughs> are you ready to light this candle? Yes, let's light this candle. What are we talking about today, Mossy? The UEFA Champions League knockout stage is off and running. We had the first four round the 16 first legs this week. We'll go in chronological order. Okay. On Tuesday, PSG Bayern. But before we get, before we get started... This has been a long time. I, I, when it came on, you know, what do you, when you hear the music and you get excited, I, I mean, I, I, I know, you know, we had World Cup and all that kind of stuff, but it just feels like it's been forever since we had it. So I'm, I'm glad that it's back. I'm excited that it's, uh, that it's back. And I didn't think that, that I missed it as much as I, as I did. I mentioned on our last podcast that PSG Bayern was a rematch of the 2020 Champions League final, which Bayern won 1-0 thanks to a second half goal by Kingsley Coman. And lo and behold, Bayern win this first leg 1-0 on a second half goal by Kingsley Coman, assisted by Alfonso Davies, who came on for João Cancelo at the half. A shot that Donnarumma probably should have saved. It was kind of a soft goal to give up. Um, Mbappe did not start this game, came on in the second half. Uh, before he came on, PSG were absolutely shocking. Bayern were all over them. Neymar was atrocious. One of the worst <laughs> games I've ever seen him play. Messi was not great either. So Bayern certainly deserved to be ahead at that point. Once PSG brought Mbappe on, he changed the game. PSG finished the match on the front foot, created some chances. Mbappe thought he had scored an equalizer, but it was chalked off because of an offside to Nuno Mendes in the buildup. So it ends... PSG nil, Bayern one, Bayern in the driver's seat to advance. Are they? I mean, look, I, I, I know that the tendency is to get greedy. And we mentioned earlier this week in, in, in looking at this game that this was a gift and an opportunity to Bayern to come up to this depleted PSG team. And, you know, that's one thing to say that they're depleted, but it's still one of the great teams in the world. And they put out plenty of talent but they were not even competitive in the first half. And Bayern should have put them away. They had not only the opportunities, but so much of the ball. And Bayern pressed them into their own end from the very beginning. And PSG still wanted to play out of the back. And they lost the ball time and time again. So in a strange way, if you're Bayern Munich, the damage that you needed to do needed to be done in that first half. Because to your point, that second half, it was completely different. And I think it showed... Why? And I know it's it's arguable, but Mbappe is the best player on the planet. And it's not just because he's fast, okay? And just because he's faster than anybody on the field. It's because he is able to harness it and he is able to understand when to use it, when not to use it, to, to, to gear down, to gear up, do all of those different things. But one person fundamentally changed the entire complexion of that game and of the team that he was playing for, and that was Mbappe. If they get him and Mbappe going back to, uh, to Munich, Munich is in trouble. I don't think they did enough damage this game uh, to really be secure in that second leg. Now, it's a big if, and God forbid that not only Mbappe is on the field, but Neymar gets his you-know-what out of his you-know-what, and Messi comes alive, which all could happen, and it could be big problems for Bayern. 
Uh, shout out to Sergio Ramos, who said after the game, thankfully for us, the away goals rule is no longer in effect. Uh, Sergio, <laughs> Bayern won 1-0. There's no way for them to advance on away goals. PSG could have. The team that benefits from the away goals rule no longer being in effect is actually Bayern Munich. So Sergio struggling with the math a little bit there. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> uh, but a couple of notes. Um, first on Bayern, Jamal Musiala, what a player he is. Uh, I think he is underrated because... He's already at a destination club, so he's not the subject of transfer rumors as much as some of these other guys. If he was the exact same player he is but played for a Dortmund or a Leipzig, you'd be reading stories every day about the Chelsea's and Manchester United's thinking of spending 100 million euros for him. But you don't read those stories because nobody thinks he's going to leave Bayern anytime soon. So we sort of take for granted how brilliant he is that a kid at that age is doing what he's doing. But I, I thought he ran the game for them. I mean, he was one of the best players on the field for sure. It's 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 wonderful. But, you know, to your point, when you have a player that is already in, you know, arguably the greatest club in the world, and certainly one of the greatest clubs with this incredible history, how much ambition do they have to go other places? And should they even go anywhere, anywhere else? Because even at Bayern, there will be, people will come knocking and there will be enticements out there. And there also will be, will be some that say he, I mean, if he just continues on a place for buying the rest of his career, wins God knows how many Bundesliga, you know, uh, titles, and then, you know, the sporadic Champions League or whatever, playing for one of the great uh, teams in the, uh, in the world, there will still be some, some that will say, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but. I, I guess it's down to the individual and we won't know, but it's fun to watch him, whether he's playing for Bayern or if he goes on and plays uh, for somebody else. And also, let's be honest, there's only a few other players, places, if you're coming from Bayern, that you could conceivably go where it is at step up. On Messi, uh, right after the World Cup, PSG approached him about signing an extension. In that moment, he was very happy. His family is settled in Paris. And so he indicated that he was willing to do it. But he hasn't put pen to paper yet. And I wonder, now we're reaching the part of the season where it tends to become toxic at PSG <laughs> after they invariably get knocked out of the Champions League. The fans turn on the players and boo them. And I wonder if he'll rethink, do I really want to sign up for this for another year? So. This is the season of toxicity yes, when it comes to PSG. All right. Well, well, we'll see. So, uh, you know, it shapes up for a, a wonderful uh, return there, and we'll see uh, ultimately what happens. All right. What, what's, what's next? Also on Tuesday, AC Milan, 1-0 winners over Tottenham. Raheem Diaz uh, with the only goal early in the first half. They kept Tottenham at bay the rest of the game. And in fact, uh, Milan had a couple of chances in the second half to add to their lead couple of headers with Ketlar and then Messias. But so did Spurs. Uh, they did. But I, I kind of think AC Milan is a team that's ruining a little bit, only winning 1-0. Why did you see it differently? Well, you mean because they missed their they yeah. missed their chances? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't look at it going back in. Yeah, no, because the, but Spurs still had opportunity. And I think Spurs will be confident going back because this is not the Milan of, of, of the past. But... Who knows? Maybe they conjure up something, uh, something incredible. But it was kind of cool and, and and fun to see at least a, a shade of old Milan there in terms of the celebration. And it's much more, I guess, of the the possibility of what could be relative to what once was. That, but I don't know how long that lasts uh, ultimately. And Spurs, it's it's a good team, and now they got to go to uh, London. On Wednesday, Benfica took care of Club Bruges, 2-0 away win. João Mario from the penalty spot and David Neri's late. Uh, so I think this tie is done, done. and dusted. Benfica done. should move on. Also on Wednesday, uh, Dortmund, 1-0 victory at home over Chelsea. The goal, just a remarkable sequence. A corner for Chelsea. It gets cleared out to Karim Adeyemi in his own half. And he takes off on this spectacular run. Blows right past Enzo Fernandez, rounds Kepa and slots home. Uh, just an incredible moment. Gio Reyna, an unused substitute in this one, incidentally. Uh, Dortmund get the victory, but Chelsea had their chances. Jerome Felix hit the crossbar in the first half. Koulibaly thought he had scored in the second half. Emery Chan cleared it off the line. So I think Chelsea come away from this one still feeling like they're very much in it and have a great chance uh, back home at Stanford. Yeah, I, I think Dortmund will be worried about the the return. This was smash and grabby on Dortmund's part. I don't I don't know that they were It was, but it was still a, a a beautiful moment and we you know, we talk about again, back to back to speed and speed in most sports kind of trumps all, but there's a lot of players that have speed but don't have necessarily the skill or the pacing 
to be able to use it effectively, uh, you know. And in this moment, and it was coast, it was coast to coast, as you said, off of a off of a corner down at the other end, and then just get on your horse and go. And it was it was pretty incredible, incredible to watch. And we've seen coast to coast types of things here, but this was this this was. This was fun to see. And we talk about speed needing space. Sometimes in the game, in those set pieces, when you have all of the focus and all the tension, you can, you can let stuff slip. And any coach will tell you on a, on a set piece, you have to be saying, what if, what if, what if, what if that ball comes out? Do we have enough players to stop that in that moment? Are you, do you have the wherewithal to take a professional foul? Do you have the wherewithal to understand that it cannot go on because of ultimately what we saw, what we saw happen there? But uh, I, don't think that, I don't think Chelsea right now will be worried necessarily on the goal that they gave up in the way that they gave up because of the chances that they, they got and the, the ability to go back home. Uh, Christian Pulisic did not play in this match due to injury. Jerome Felix did. As I mentioned, he hit the crossbar. Those two players linked right now in transfer news. Uh, we talked about this on our last podcast. João Felix, it's a loan with no option to buy, but Chelsea are going to try to buy him permanently, it sounds like, in the summer. You suggested that might be the case. Atletico Madrid right now are asking for around 140 million euros. Chelsea don't want to go that high. All they want to spend is 100 million. So you think, well, how do they make up that difference? There are now stories that Christian Pulisic might be thrown into that deal. It might be 100 million euros and Pulisic in exchange for Jerome Felix. Uh, what do you think? We, I think we all feel like Pulisic does need to leave Chelsea in the summer. We tend to look at it in terms of the Premier League. I've even heard Serie A. But this is the first time I've heard La Liga, yeah. Atletico Madrid. Uh, how does that hit you? Well, first, first thing, the structure of this deal. I mean, it's interesting. That it's, it involves an American, and it's a very American type of thing to actually trade players, right? You're actually trading players and assigning them value through the through this deal. Usually, it doesn't really happen uh, happen like that, and you definitely need the. Um, you know the agreement of the players in order to do uh, to do something like this. I think Christian Pulisic, from the outside, it looks like he's come to the realization that with all of the talent that's coming in, that this has run its course at at Chelsea. I think what what he needs to decide is is he comfortable enough in the EPL where that's where he wants to stay, or does he want to go someplace like uh, like you said here to go to La Liga, and you're not going to the elites. And you're going to a club that is notorious for, um, you know, defending and kind of a raw type of play. Uh, we've seen, you know, the likes of Griezmann and obviously who he's getting potentially traded here for. It, it might not be. I, I I have a hard time seeing that as a destination where the best of Christian Pulisic will be will be used. I don't know. Is it just me? Well, the interesting thing from the Atletico Madrid point of view is there are rumblings that this might be Simeone's okay. final season. And that's why they loaned Joan Felix rather than sold him because they want to wait it out, see if Simeone leaves. Uh, and you know they just felt like those two needed to get away from each other for a few months. But it might be that you bring in a different manager in the summer and then it makes sense to bring Joan Felix back. So... Uh, you know, that has Pulisic implications too, who the manager is. So I think we have to wait and see the Atletico Madrid managerial situation. Then we might look upon an attacking player playing there differently than we do now under Simeone. The, the style in general, I know it's, it's a, a generalization, but the style in general in Spain, in La Liga, I actually do think that that could be conducive to a player like, uh, like Christian Pulisic. It's, and I, I know it's, it's kind of stereotypical, but I think a smaller type of player, a player who certainly can handle the physical nature of the game, but doesn't go looking for it. And, and from a, te uh, a uh, technical perspective, can do some wonderful things in small spaces, obviously is incredibly quick off the dribble. And who knows, that might, that might actually work out for him. But again, you know, to your point, if, if, if Simeone is st still there, I mean, can you imagine Christian Pulisic getting screamed and yelled at by Simeone? Uh, it should be interesting. Who knows? Str you know, strange bedfellows. Who knows? Another American in the news. It turns out Jesse Marsh will not be making a swift return to the Premier League. This looked to be a done deal that he was going to take over Southampton, but now talks have collapsed. The issue is the length of the contract. Southampton wanted it to be a deal just through the end of the season with an option to extend. We'll see what happens. If you can keep us up, then we'll 
go from there. And Jesse wanted a longer term commitment. And so he is not going to accept the job. Uh, seeing the reaction that there's a type of person out there that feels like, how could an American ever turn down a Premier League job if it's offered to him? And then there are others that do recognize that he might have been set up to fail here. And so this is actually the Putin move on Jesse's part. Yeah, I mean, that he's American, maybe he looked at it and said, if I wasn't American, and again, I'm, not, I'm, uh, I'm just saying the way that I think minds work here. He might say, if I wasn't American here, that this is a no-win type of situation. Well, there's a win if you, get, if you keep them up. But the chances of you keeping them up are still slim right now. If you do, you're a hero, and it's wonderful. But if you don't, for Jesse, that would be two relegations within, <laughs> within one year, basically, uh, or potentially. And, you know, that goes on your, on your CV. And a third failure kind of in a row well, that's fair or not. That's, I think, how it would be looked at in particular because he is an American. Having said that, you know, I don't know. I mean, he might, and, and look, Jesse's not going to want for a job. I think that there are teams around the world and obviously back home if that's something that he wants to do, but even internationally out there that will look at him as a, a viable option. So I'm not worried about him being, being employed. And I understand if he's going to do something, he wants some sort of uh, some sort of security. But there's almost a part of me too that kind of want to see wants to see him in this mercenary swashbuckling role of just going in and recognizing if it, it you know it's it's kind of all or nothing. And if it goes great, wonderful. He's like I said, a legend and a and a king in that moment, and continues on. And if it doesn't all right, fine, you take your hits and the slings and arrows that are, that are going to come. But maybe he's, he is worried about how ultimately it looks on his resume. What we don't know is what other options he has. There right. might be other clubs contacting him and letting him know, hey, in the summer, we're probably going to come calling. And so he has to weigh that versus taking over Southampton Absol now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the U.S. national team is still out there, although <laughs> I don't know who ultimately would be calling him because Ernie is lame duck here and and... And ultimately, whoever's taking, I'm talking about Ernie Stewart, who is moving on. Um, he's there for a few more weeks now. But I mean, unless he has somebody in his ear saying, hey, this is going to get done. We just have to get through a certain period. But I, I don't think that's necessarily. Uh, although it is revealing that it sounds like had Southampton offered him a multi-year deal, he would have sure. taken it. Yep. So yeah. I do think he wants, he likes the day-to-day -day yeah. type of existence. Um, and that's not that he wouldn't enjoy or thrive being an international coach or, or I mean, he said that would be that would be incredibly proud and for any American coach I think it, it would be but it also takes away that day-to-day -day type of existence that a lot of coaches thrive on. Uh, on Monday's pod I mentioned that as soon as we were done taping I would be covering the CONCACAF under 17 championship the United States taking on Trinidad and Tobago the U.S. won that match 3-1 you were texting me during it so you watched it did you gleam anything from that performance? No, I mean, I no because the competition wasn't great, um, and I have been around for a while. I have seen and watched our youth national teams where they look great and they're pinging it around, and there's obviously a identity in how they how they want to play, and that's a good thing. I'd rather have that than than nothing. But I've also been been burned before, whether it's a false sense of security th uh, relative to the the quality or the lack of quality that they are playing, or it's a false sense of security um, because of the age and the you know the great equalizer when some of these kids grow up, <laughs> get bigger, get smaller, go through puberty or more puberty, and things change dramatically. That's two wins out of two for the U.S. They've already clinched a spot in the round of 16. We're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. Tonight they face... Canada for first place in the group. If the U.S. were to win this match and top the group, I believe they would face the Dominican Republic in the round of 16. A reminder, the top four, so the four semifinalists, uh, qualify for the under-17 World Cup in Peru later this year. So far, so good. Yep. And then one last reminder, we talked about, about this in our last pod, but the She Believes Cup yep. gets underway this week. Uh, Thursday night, uh, U.S.-Canada at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Unlike the uh, under-17 game against Canada, that will feature the U.S. playing a Canadian team that is being forced to play. And <laughs> uh, 
is uh, is doing it under protest, right? Okay, Correct. just checking. Uh, but that'll be fun. We'll uh, we'll watch uh, all of those things. And like you said, by the time you listen to that, uh, the U.S. from an under seventeen perspective should have beaten Canada, and then later on, the U.S. women should take care of uh, take care of Canada. And I don't want any excuses. All right, when we kick Canada's ass here in the She Believes Cup about the problems that Canada's having off the field. Um, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll look at some more games that happened, and I'll look forward to the weekend to uh, games that are going to happen. All right, welcome back. Uh, all right, Mossy, we got some games that also happened and some league games that happened here. Where should we start? We'll begin in England, where today, right before we got here to tape this podcast, showdown, top of the table clash, Arsenal, Manchester City. City take it 3-1 to one at the Emirates. Ooh. They took the lead through Kevin De Bruyne, who capitalized on a giveaway gift. by Tomoyasu, who got the start over Ben White, which was a curious decision by Arteta. Uh, Arsenal equalized late in the first half from the penalty spot. I thought a stone-cold penalty. The NBC guys made much too much of that being a controversial decision. I am 100% with you there, Mossy. And I am so glad that that penalty was called because the carte blanche that goalkeepers have been given historically, all right, because, because the shot happened or because the ball went beyond or out of bounds. So evidently, we've come, to the, we've come to the point where goalkeepers can basically decapitate an attacking player, all right, and not even come anywhere close to the ball in a situation that anywhere else in the field would be automatically, not just automatic expulsion, would be, you'd be exiled from the actual country that you're playing in, some of these horrific, horrific timed tackles. And so when Ederson comes out and doesn't even come anywhere close to the ball, I am so glad that they went back and looked at it and said, no, 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 we're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt because the ball, you got the shot off and it got cleared off the line. No, it's a foul. It's a penalty. And anybody that says that it isn't doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. This argument of, where is Ederson supposed to go? Well, he could have stayed at his goal line. <laughs> the fact that he came out like that makes that argument ridiculous. He was completely away from his goal. <laughs> put, have a center back. Put a center back in Ederson's role at, at midfield, okay? And, and, have, and have a player push it by him. Where is he supposed to go? He just, he just crushed him. He just completely crushed him and didn't come anywhere close to the ball and impeded him from actually getting to the ball on the other side. Ugh. And Ederson was nice enough to tell Saka where he should go with the penalty. Yes, so. that was very, it was very nice. So now it's one one. You now think, all right, game okay. on. Arteta's going crazy. The Emirates, everybody's going nuts. Piers Morgan's uh, talking crap. It's all, it's all happening now, Mossy. But then second half, uh, bad giveaway by Gabriel. City break. Jack Grealish two one. And then late on, a beautiful team move that ends with De Bruyne squaring it for Holland, who scores his 26th Premier League goal of the campaign. 3-1 final. The amazing thing about this game for me is that City weren't even that good. The first half, they were dreadful. Uh, the Bernardo Silva left-back experiment, which, which worked against Aston Villa, was no bueno here. It was actually ridiculous because... Arsenal's best player is Bukayo Sako, so that's the, <laughs> <laughs> the one area where you can't screw around too much with his left back, and Pep decided to get cute there. Um, but when he fixed that early in the second half, brought on a kanji, um, things improved. It must be nice to be Pep, right? It's going to be the <laughs> king, right? It, it must be incredible to be able to do something just, just to try it for shits and giggles, right? And just you have so much talent out there and even the player that you're putting in a position that he has no business being in still kind of fakes it here or there. And then you can actually move things around and then you get credit for recognizing what was always going to be a problem. And then you fix it and then your team goes on, uh, goes on and, and wins. I, before, before we go on, when I am watching Manchester City now, when they win, is it? because of ill-gotten gains given the charges against them right uh, right now and all of the accusations yet completely uh, proven um, and they have the right to defend themselves but ultimately if and when they are successful if they did what, what it, they are being accused of cheat then all of this means nothing right there is a dark cloud hanging over that club right now. I did think about that as I was watching this match. Yeah, for I, sure. I did too. Okay. And then the other thing, uh, and this is what, uh, did you see when um, 
De Bruyne went over to the sideline uh, and Arteta was there. They and Arteta pushed, little... the, well, pushed the ball away. Yep. Don't do that. Don't be an ass like that. Arteta. Arteta. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful hair, Arteta. All right. Wonderful coach. Uh, I love him. But you know exactly. Well, here's what you do. If you do it, then don't be surprised when somebody pushes you out of the way and you get crap for it, all right? Don't be surprised if you're irritating a player. You know exactly what you're doing. Oh, and by the way, you're a coach, all right? You, you shouldn't be doing that. And you and especially Arteta, who kind of holds himself above. Pep does this too, so he's not, he's not, he's not alone. They all you know, hold themselves above and wouldn't be caught dead doing this, this or that. I mean, these are like, these are like dark art sideline versions of, of, of doing that kind of stuff. Come on. And Arteta, former assistant at yeah, City, yeah. knows De Bruyne well. At the end of the game, I saw they did have a warm embrace, smile, so they made it's peace. Fun. And it's and it's it's basically just poking, and you know exactly what you're doing. And from a player perspective, it's the worst. It, it's so irritating when somebody does that. You're just about to pick it up, and they just kick it a little bit farther, and they know exactly what they're doing. And you kind of expect it from players, but you don't expect it from coaches. And every time I see it, I just it's like. That's beneath you. That's it's not beneath all coaches, but that's beneath you, Arteta. So don't do that. So those two teams level on points. City ahead on goal difference. Arsenal have played one fewer game, but I'd be very surprised if Arsenal make this a nip and tuck race until the end. I think City blow past them now and win the Premier League by Whoa. six to eight points. You think that the psyche has been so damaged right now, where this is tortoise and the hare, and the uh, the hare was sleeping, hare being Arsenal was sleeping, and now they get up and they look and say, "Oh, wait a second, uh, I thought I had it made, and now there's going to be problems." Yeah, and, and not just that, City are just a better team, and they underperformed the first half of the season. I think they're going to click now down the stretch and win games at a pace that Arsenal are not going to be able to keep up with. Wow. All right. You don't see it that way? No, I mean, yeah, I, it, it certainly can happen. Again, it will gotten gains, uh, maybe, but, uh, you know, they'll, they will celebrate uh, regardless of how it ultimately come, it comes to them. I just think that it is kind of, I mean, because I don't have a horse in the race, uh, it, it is kind of funny <laughs> from an Arsenal perspective that it was there. It was in the palm of your hand. And you were constantly, unlike the tortoise in the hare, you were constantly looking over the shoulder. And sometimes you will it into existence. <laughs> they, they seem to have, what they were so scared of happening has now manifested. It is, it is happening to them right now, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. And according to you, not only are they going to blow by, but they're going to put space between them. And it's always going to be in 2022-23 what could have been. What was once in the palm of your hand was taken out by those bad guys from Manchester City. So the fixtures this weekend, Arsenal away to Aston Villa, Manchester City away to Nottingham Forest. Elsewhere, Chelsea hosts Southampton. This was a game Sean Sullivan put on the list when we thought it was going to be Jesse Marsh's debut, yep. but it will not be. Uh, Leeds away to Everton. Leeds still without a new manager. Everton made the change recently. They have Sean Dyche on the bench, so we'll see what McKinney, Adams, Aronson and company can do in that one. And Chris Armas. And Chris Armas. Uh, Manchester United, Leicester. United, by the way, I forgot to mention this in the opening segment, uh, big game on Thursday. They're away to Barcelona in the Europa League, so this is a busy few days here for them. Home to Leicester at the weekend. Newcastle, home to Liverpool, so a lot of good stuff in Lots England. of good games. Lots of good games. But um, I don't have to care about uh, Southampton, so... You know, that's one less team that I have to worry about. For, for about a day there on Twitter, you were... Uh, but it, it, you understand what I'm saying, right? The only reason, the only reason that I would have watched a Southampton game other than just flicking through was if Jesse Marsh was at the helm. If Jesse had taken over and Southampton faced Leeds and the three Americans were starting, who would you root for in that game? Well, I don't care. I root for America. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in Germany, Bayern Munich with a tricky away fixture. They face Borussia Mönchengladbach, Joe Scally and company taking on the league leaders. And the two teams directly below Bayern have very easy matches this weekend. Union Berlin home to last place Schalke, Borussia Dortmund home to Hertha Berlin. So those two will probably win. So that puts a little bit of pressure on Bayern to take Rested care of Rested Gio Reyna. So he can... Uh, Rested Gio Reyna. Uh, PSG in France will play host to Lille. That'll be an emotional return to the Parc de France for Lille left back Timmy Weah. 
That's the position he's been starting in for them. Uh, PSG have lost three straight in all competitions, so they're yeah, looking they to get back. Yeah, they got to get uh, back in their winning ways. Okay. In Spain, we had a match today. Real Madrid, because they played in the Club World Cup, they didn't play in La Liga last weekend, so they had to make up that match midweek. They took care of last place Elche 4-0. Vinicius was suspended, so Rodrigo got to start on the left and was sensational. Benzema twice from the penalty spot. Asensio with a great goal. Luka Modric scored as well. So Real Madrid taking care of business against last place Elche. That cuts the gap back down to eight between them and Barcelona. This weekend, Real Madrid away to Osasuna. Barcelona home to Cadiz. You can dress it up all you want, but I'm not. You don't think there's much of a race there. But the big story in Spain that's erupted in the last 24 hours is this controversy surrounding Barcelona. Under their previous president, Bartomeu, it must be said, uh, they've been found to have paid large sums of money to this company that's owned by a guy who was one of the head of La Liga refereeing, a Howard Webb type figure. And so everybody's putting two and two together and, and thinking these were payments that led to them getting uh, beneficial officiating. Um, so big controversy. There's but, but Howard Webb is not involved, right? I mean, you're just no, no, no. Using I'm, a, okay. I'm just saying an example. Wanna, Howard, so, if you're listening, sort of, okay, we're doing it. We're just using you. And actually, it was a form of respect in how big and uh, and important right, right, this right, person right. was. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, the Madrid media is treating this like Watergate, and they think Barcelona should have points deducted or perhaps even be relegated. Barcelona are denying any wrongdoing. So this is a story we'll have to keep an eye on here and see what happens. So the uh, the strategy in in today's world is. If and when the distance between you and your major rival gets insurmountable, then go find dirt and figure it out. And they all have dirt somewhere and try to get point deductions to make up the the space as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, between Juventus, City and Barcelona, some of Europe's biggest clubs embroiled in controversy this season. Wait, so explain to me again what, what they're being accused of, though. So they've found Barcelona for a period of a few years there to have made these payments to this company which is owned by a guy who also at the time was working as part of La Liga's refereeing, like sort of overseeing it. So a conflict so, of interest. Yeah. All right. But it comes back to money. All right. Well, we'll see ultimately if, uh, if that happens. Maybe ill-gotten gains again when it comes to Barcelona. They put them back too. Uh, and there's more Barcelona news though on the field, I guess, uh, in terms of uh, a transfer that didn't happen, but did happen, evidently. Yes. So this was an interesting one because you might recall on deadline day, they tried to sign Julian Araujo and they were 18 seconds late with the paperwork. They appealed to FIFA. FIFA denied the appeal. So this transfer was considered dead. But Barcelona said, we're going to try to figure out some way to still make it happen. And evidently they have. I'm not quite sure how, to be honest. None of the articles really laid out how they were able to do this, but they just said, hey, it's done. So uh, this move got the Fabrizio Romano, here we go, treatment today. Julian Araujo of the Galaxy is off to Barcelona. For the remainder of the season, he's going to play for their reserve team, which ironically enough is managed by Rafa Marquez. So young Mexican (laughs) international playing for legendary Mexican international. And then the hope is that if he impresses next season, he could be part of the first team. Remember, Sergino Dest on loan with AC Milan, they've already indicated they're probably not going to sign him permanently. So Sergino Dest might be back at Barcelona this summer competing with Julian Araujo, a U.S.-Mexico battle for a roster spot. Oh, my goodness. With the Real Grana. Well, so (laughs) 18 (laughs) seconds, right? I mean... I, this it was just like a pity thing where they said, ah, we kind of got the kids' hopes up and really dashed it. It really wasn't nice. So we'll just kind of forget that it was 18 seconds. But you can't be a little pregnant. It either, either there's no point in having a, a drop-dead date or moment if you don't adhere to it, ultimately. Let me ask you, taking your MLS blinders off, right. Julian Araujo, is he a Barcelona caliber well, player? Okay, so th- th- we're burying the lead, aren't we? MLS, in this case, the Los Angeles Galaxy, just sold a player to Barcelona. I mean, wow, that's awesome, okay? Is he the best player in MLS? No. Is he the best player of the LA Galaxy? Eh, Debatable, but the LA Galaxy has not been good, and he's certainly a, a quality player that the Galaxy recognized, that the U.S. national team has recognized, and certainly El Tri has recognized going forward. But is he of the quality for Barcelona, and they might be taking a flyer and saying, hey, we think he's going to get better and better and better, but this is good. This is wonderful. I'm glad that it worked out for him, however it ultimately happened, because can you imagine having in the palm of your hand the transfer to Barcelona, a life-changing and altering type of moment, grabbed away and taken away and snatched away? 
Uh, so that's nice. It's a it's a good story, and it's a good story for him, and it's a good story for Major League Soccer and for the Los Angeles Galaxy. And look, the Galaxy uh, needed as they get set for this uh, this new year because there's not been a whole lot of good stuff going on. Although, did you see? Um, you know, this is just just it has nothing to do necessarily with Barcelona, but seventy thousand plus tickets are uh, sold for the LA Galaxy versus uh, LAFC at the Rose Bowl, kicking off the uh, MLS. And we're going to do a bunch of MLS preview uh, next week and stuff like that. So we'll be talking a lot about that. But don't tell me that either of these teams or this league isn't uh, isn't popular. That's seventy thousand people going to the Rose Bowl to watch an MLS game. And guess who will be among those seventy thousand? Statman David Moss. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, that's going to be fun. Good luck getting in and out of Pasadena. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, last thing on this transfer, I wonder if Ricky Pooge might have recommended a Rafa. Ooh, to he gave his, uh, his blessing over there as he continues on. Anything else, Mossy? Uh, just to wrap things up, uh, Serie A on Friday, league leaders Napoli away to Sassuolo. Napoli looking to continue cruising towards their first Scudetto since 1990. Just take it. Just give, them to, give it to him now. All right. Um, all right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go in. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. Again, our handle out there on all the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call in uh, at 657-549-2297. That is our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. What do we got this week, Mossy? A couple of voicemails. Let's hear the first one right now. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Carlos from Corte Madera, California. And I'm just calling in uh, with all the talk about the FIFA Club World Cup. I actually recently saw a great video essay by uh, the great YouTuber Anthony LaRosa that did a piece on the 2000s Galaxy team you were a part of, Alexi, and uh, how that uh, competition was ultimately canceled. You guys didn't get paid the money uh, FIFA promised to pay you due to their bankruptcy at the time or – that uh, international leisure, whatever that organization was. So I just wanted to uh, know, Alexi, what's your thoughts and feelings, uh, you know, now 20 years on from that moment? Uh, how do you feel about it? How did some of your teammates feel about it? And, uh, yeah, is it, is it kind of a regret for you? Um, thanks again. I love the show. Uh, can't wait to hear your response. Bye. All right. Uh, Carlos, thank you for the, uh, the throwback question. So, yeah, when we just finished talking about the Club World Cup, and by the way, uh, we, we had talked last uh, couple of pods about the future Club World Cups. Looks like next year it's going to be the same as this year, and then the following one is going to be the more expanded one, right? Uh, there's going to be two more under okay. this current format and the expanded one, and they announced that uh, this upcoming one, 2023, is going to be in Saudi Arabia from December 12th to the 22nd. Then there's going to be another one in 2024 under this current format. And then they're hoping to start this expanded one in 2025, 32 teams. And they announced actually the disbursement of slots. It's going to be 12 from Europe, six from Conmebol, and then four each for CONCACAF, Africa, and Asia, one from Oceania, and one for the host nation. Okay. So that's how that tournament's going to work. All right. So, you know, these, this tournament has gone through different iterations over the years. Uh, and as you rightly mentioned uh, there, Carlos, so when people say that, you know, the Seattle Sounders are the first MLS team to be champions of CONCACAF. That's actually not true. Uh, both the Los Angeles Galaxy and DC United back at the turn of the century uh, were champions of, of CONCACAF. Now, back then, in order to be champions of CONCACAF, it was a very different type of tournament relative to CONCACAF Champions League. It was even called the uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup. It was all done within a two-week type of tournament. Uh, and ultimately, if you won, uh, you represented the uh, you represented CONCACAF. So uh, in what would have been December of 20, uh, of 2000, uh, I hooked up with the Los Angeles Galaxy after taking a year sabbatical. And the first thing that happened was uh, this Champions, uh, Champions Cup for CONCACAF. I was not scheduled to play. I was coming off of a year where I had not done pretty much anything. Ziggy Schmidt said, this guy can play soccer and he's a really good backup to have. Danny Califf, who was the starting center back for the Los Angeles Galaxy at that time, <laughs> went out before the tournament uh, on a surfboard and messed himself up. And immediately I got the call and ended up starting throughout that entire tournament, which we ended up, ended up winning. 
when you win that, uh, you go to the club uh, World Cup. And we were very excited. In the same way, uh, some, nothing has changed in that we were excited for the opportunity to play against the likes of Real Madrid. And Real Madrid was actually in this tournament. Now, this was 12 different teams that were then going to be a part of the Club World Cup. I have them right here in front of me, just so you get an idea of the competition back then. Four groups, or three groups, three groups of four. Uh, Deportivo La Coruña, Real Madrid, Galatasaray, Boca Juniors, Palmeiras, Los Angeles Galaxy, Olympia, uh, 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 Olympia de Paraguay, right? Uh, uh, of Honduras, excuse me, Olympia of Honduras. Uh, Hearts of Oak from Ghana. Uh, let's see, Zamalek from Egypt. Al-Hilal, still crushing it back then. We just talked about them from uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Jubilo Iwata from uh, Japan. And the Wollongong Wolves from Australia. And there were four groups, or three groups of four, our group actually included Real Madrid. So it wasn't like Seattle this year where they had to win and then they were possibly going to play against Real Madrid. We knew going to the World Cup or going to the Club World Cup that we were going to play against Real Madrid. Unfortunately, this was going to be the second FIFA Club World Cup. Uh, they had some marketing problems when it came to FIFA with their marketing partner and it ended up getting canceled. Uh, not only do we miss out on the opportunity to play against some great teams in a tournament and represent CONCACAF and represent Major League Soccer, but there was also prize money. I, I vividly remember saying, hey, there's you know a huge, whatever, million-dollar pot possibly when you go over there that you are playing for. And that mattered. It matters now, and it mattered, it mattered back then. And so, yeah, it was, it was a bummer, to say the least, that we were not going to be able to go to that final moment and earn what we had worked so hard for, even in a short period of time, to represent the Los Angeles Galaxy and represent uh, Major League Soccer. So yeah, it, uh, it, it sucks. And I think about that and I, and I was proud, but I was also a little bit jealous when Seattle was able to go over there. And even though it was a short stay and, and they lost their first game, they still at least got the opportunity to say that they played in a club world cup as opposed to us where we qualified, but then it was uh, ultimately canceled, but I've gotten over it. It's been more than 20 years. If you had faced Deportivo La Coruña, they had a player, Gijal Mia, who would have made you look silly. Really? Nutmegged you several times. Listen. You know, Deportivo La Coruña in the 90s and early 2000s was a very popular destination for Brazilian players. Mauro Silva played there, Bebeto, Rivaldo, mm. Gijal Mia, Flavio Conceição, among others. So, Hey, listen, we were not too shabby back then with the likes of Kevin Elgato, Hartman <laughs> in goal, myself, Tyrone Marshall, Danny Califf, who I mentioned, Sasha Victorine, Kobe Jones, Peter Vianas, the great Maurice Cienfuegos, Simon Elliott, Ezra Hendrickson, of course, up top, uh, uh, guys like Kobe Jones and uh, Carlos Ruiz. Did you say so. Greg Vanny? Greg Vanny was uh, still a part of that team too, so yeah. Yeah, no, but in all seriousness, uh, it's the marketing firm you mentioned, it's ISL International Sport and Leisure, and if you watch the Netflix FIFA documentary that came out recently right before the World Cup, there's a whole episode devoted to that company's relationship with FIFA. So yeah, it was their collapse. That, it was a mess. Yeah, it, it yeah, was they, a mess. It, it was actually called the Club World Championship in those days. The first edition, as you mentioned, was in Brazil in 2000. Manchester United famously blew off the FA Cup to play in that competition instead, which is very controversial. Ended up being an all-Brazilian final, Corinthians against Vasco da Gama. And yeah, the one you were going to play in was going to be the second edition. The competition went away for several years and then resurfaced in 2005 under this current format that we now know. Well, listen, I mean, it's one thing to be denied the opportunity to play against a team like uh, Real Madrid. It's another thing to be denied against the uh, opportunity to play against the Wollongong Wolves. So, <laughs> oh, well, another loss. Uh, we have another voicemail. Hey, guys, this is Ant-Man calling from Knoxville, Tennessee. Got a, I think, simple question. Given that the USMNT is leaderless at the moment, the USSF appears to be in shambles. What, in your opinion, let me rephrase, in your opinions, should the name Jill Ellis be in discussion? Why or why not? Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Mm. I love the pauses for dramatic right. effect yes. on that call. Very theatrical. I love <laughs> it, though. I love it. Thank you, Ant-Man. And thank you for the question. It's a really... I think it's an interesting question. Um, and so you have to look at it in a, in a bunch of uh, different ways. So just purely on the surface of it, from a, um, a resume and a success standpoint, 
Jill Ellis has more than, let's be honest, the majority of candidates out there and the majority of coaches that are going to come in and interview for the men's national team uh, coaching position. Multiple World Cups, win streaks, coaching uh, some of the best players, not only in the world at the time, but ultimately that have ever played the game. Um, An understanding of the ins and outs of American soccer a longevity when it comes to what she has done, uh, both in the coaching perspective and even now off the field. And so getting that type of perspective, which I think opens up um, your eyes and your mind uh, even more so. The question really comes down to, and this is always going to be the question when you're talking about um, Jill Ellis, is can a woman coach the U.S. men's national team? Now, it's easy for me to say yes, and I do believe that that is that that is the case. Um, but ultimately, what you're going ha- going to have to decide is when, in this case, Jill Ellis walks into that room as the head coach. She is also walking in as a woman. It's undeniable. It's it's just the way that it is in terms of the way that she is going to view that uh, be viewed by the players. And I, I would think that some of the players, it's not going to phase them. They're not going to care at all. And they will just say, all right, what are we doing? What do you want us to do? And there will be some that will say, all right, this is a wait and see type of attitude. I'm not quite sure about this. And there will probably be some that say, no, this is not happening. Because so, for all of your accolades and all of your experience, they are going to look at it as this is somebody who while she has played soccer, while she has coached soccer, while she certainly knows soccer, she does not know men's soccer. And that's, you know, that's not an indictment. That is not a, a criticism. That is, let's be honest, that's a human, a human type of reaction. Not every human, but a human type of reaction that is going to, that is going to happen. I, I would love to see someone like Jill Ellis, and, you know, you mentioned Aunt... Um, Jill Ellis. So I would love to see Jill Ellis put her name in. And I would love to see her because this is going to be a process. All right. If we know anything, the, the, uh, the process is going to be thorough, <laughs> thorough relative to what has happened in the past. And I would love to see her go through the process. And although we wouldn't be privy to it, it would be really interesting to see how she sees the U.S. men's national team, how she thinks that she would not just coach it uh, from a regular perspective, but also coach it knowing that people, uh, that players, some players are going to accept it, some players aren't going to accept it. And that baggage, whether it's right or not, I think she'd be the first to admit, that baggage of coming into the locker room uh, as not just a, a female coach, but the first female coach ever for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, you know, I'd have to go through and look through history. I think she would be setting, setting you know, historic precedent uh, on a number of different ways going forward. And then it would be up to her to prove that she knows what she's talking about and to earn that respect. Now, is that fair? Should she not get the respect immediately when she walks in? Yeah. But th- we all know that that's not necessarily how, uh, how humans work. Uh, in the same way, though, that we all have baggage. I have it. You have it. We have our histories. We have our biases. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Some of it is burden, burdensome. Even Greg Berhalter right now, through no fault of his own, he is going to be bringing baggage to the assessment as to whether he is the best candidate going forward and every job that he goes through for, uh, going forward. Jill Ellis is going to be bringing, I'm, I'm going to call it baggage, but it's just the reality of her being a woman in a position that has always had a man in it. And how is that going to translate? Ultimately, this is about winning. And I don't give a goddamn if it's a man, woman, uh, or anything else. I just want somebody in there that the players are going to respect, that the players are going to respond to, that the American soccer community and the, 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 uh, the American community out there is going to respond to, 
that can go out there and not only coach the team, but also be that ambassador that you need to be. And Joe Ellis, as far as I'm concerned, could do all of those, uh, all of those things. And if and when that process happened, I would hope that after you put all of the things together and look at all the pluses and, mi- and minuses out there and what checks the box, what doesn't check the, check the box, if you came to the conclusion that the best course of, uh, of action for the U.S. men's national team was to get someone like Jill Ellis and she was the best candidate for the job, that she would get it. And I try to put myself in that locker room when a Jill Ellis would, uh, would walk in. And I would probably be skeptical at first. Uh, and, you know, she would probably have to act in a way that gained my, it's not respect, because I would always respect somebody, but I guess gain my trust or gain my faith that what she was saying is based on her experience, but still applies to the situation that's going on. And let's be honest, it's a very different thing, coaching relative to playing. So the X's and O's in the game, they don't change relative to whether it's the men's game or the women's game. Yes, you know, the speed and the size and the power and the strength is undeniable that it's different. But the tactics and the motivation that goes into motivating not just soccer players, but athletes in general, it's pretty universal. And so from that perspective, I think it would be much more difficult if you were coming at it as a player as opposed to coming into a coach being asked to coach a, uh, as a woman being asked to coach uh, a men's team. What do you think, Mossy? Tricky one. Yeah. You want to say the politically correct thing here, but I don't want to be naive. It, it would be a bit strange for the players to have a, who have never been coached by a woman before to be coached by one. So and, and, it is and something the, that has to And the federation, they might come to the, the realization and the decision say, you know what, it's just, it's just too much and we don't want to have to deal with it. And you know what? While there'll be those that say, well, that's ridiculous, it shouldn't happen. Again, that's the reality. Because guess what? They may come to the realization that Greg Berhalter it's just, it's just too much, and I don't want to have to deal with it. And in a moment where we should be focusing on so many other things, I don't want to have to worry about that. Because if and when you hire Jill Ellis or any woman to coach the U.S. men's national team, recognize that with that comes attention, with, with that comes scrutiny, with that comes, comes stuff that we've never had to deal with before. And it's not just the coach that's dealing with it. It's the entire team. And who knows? Maybe it brings them together. But unfortunately, it could possibly splinter them apart, and you might be left with players going, saying, why are we even talking about this? Why do I care about this? Why is this, why is this what the national team is when it should be something else? Uh, to end on a happy note, if Joe... It's not, it's not a sad note. Just to end with a bit of news okay. that, that should have been in this run-down. Uh, Sean Sullivan not including it as a fireball offense. Uh, FIFA have confirmed the United States, Mexico, and Canada automatically qualified for the 2026 World Cup. So um, if Joe Ellis or anybody else takes over the U.S. national team, they will already know that they are in the next World Cup. They are in the next World Cup. Well, thank goodness that that is happening. We knew that was going to happen. You know, the good part from a CONCACAF perspective uh, means obviously the U.S., Canada, and Mexico qualify automatically. And there's a good chance that three others are going to qualify out of uh, CONCACAF, which means that there are some teams that potentially have never been to a World Cup from CONCACAF that will have their opportunity come 2026. Wouldn't that be something to see after, you know, seeing the teams like Panama going for the first time and these uh, these types of things. So that's and that's really what an expanded World Cup promises. So hopefully it uh, it delivers and we see some debutantes going forward as we are seeing this summer when it comes to the Women's World Cup, expanded uh, Women's World Cup and some debutantes that are going to be there. Um, all right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. We uh, One more break here. When we come back, I'll give you my uh, one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. All right, Mossy, uh, I'm going to tell you a little uh, story and break a break a little bit li- li- break, break a little bit of personal news. Okay, so um, I retired 
at the end of 2003, we were just talking about the Galaxy. I was with the Galaxy. I, I finished playing in 2003 and then started up in front offices in the beginning of 2004. From the moment that I retired, I continued to work out in the form of running and running long distance. And basically for the next, I don't know, 18 years or so until I was about 50, 50, 51, I ran every single day. Um, I ran outside. I ran on pavement and I ran long distance. So it could vary from seven miles a day up to 15 miles a day. And it was a wonderful escape, a wonderful release. Uh, some of my best memories of life uh, at times are rum, runs. I, I forget a lot of things, but I can tell you where I was. And I remember running in, in Paris. Uh, I can remember running, you know, through the Kremlin. I can remember running the Copacabana. You know, I mean, I, I ran, I've run all over the world. And it's something that I love to do. A couple of years ago, I went from my normal run. I came back home about, about 100 yards away from my doorstep. My right knee gave out on me in a way that I had never felt pain before. I mean, I always had aches and pains and stuff like that. And I was very fortunate through my career where I didn't get a lot of uh, injuries. The only thing I had was a, a broken fifth metatarsal um, that I have a, a screw uh, a screw in. But that was basically, I, I, I was pretty unscathed from the injury perspective, unlike my friend uh, Stu Holden. But anyway, uh, so I, I, I limped home and it became very apparent that something, something was wrong. Now, my doctor in my yearly visits uh, would constantly say, hey, listen, you know, you can keep doing this in terms of running every day, but eventually it's going to catch up with you um, when you're just pounding and pounding away on pavement. And I would say, yeah, yeah, whatever, doc, and stuff like that. Well, you know, doctors aren't always right, but in this case, he was certainly right. And it, and it did catch up to me. And so uh, for the last couple of years, I have not been able to run. I'm killing the Peloton. And so I'm still working out like a, a, a fiend, but I have not been able to run um, because of the pain in my knee. And so we, we tried everything. And, and this is what happens when you get old. Getting old sucks, Mossy. Uh, and, and I am older. I am not old, but I am older. But even getting older sucks, especially for someone that has used their body for so many, so many years of their lifetime. So I went and saw my doctor and we had exhausted all, all the possible uh, treatments, including, you know, first just shooting it up and then doing the plasma thing and, you know, all sorts of different things in order to try to figure out a way, but you're really just masking it. And ultimately when the cartilage goes uh, and you have no shock absorbers, there, it's, not, it's not there anymore. So I come to find out, Mossy, that uh, I am going to have to get a uh, knee replacement surgery. Now, this is partial knee replacement, okay? And so that's going to happen in a couple weeks here. Now, in the greater scheme of things, this is nothing. There are people that have, you know, horrible, horrible problems. Uh, if you're not watching, you, uh, what we just put up here is my actual right and left knee, a compare and contrast. And, and basically, the space in between there, Mossy, you, you want some space and you have some space when you are younger. And it just starts to diminish and starts to rub. And when people talk about bone on bone, it's really not always bone on bone. It's just the, the space is diminishing and therefore there's the, there's problems. And so they have to go in there and they're going to make me bionic. They're going to put some metal in here in a couple of weeks. As I said, on March 13th, I'm going to go in for a partial knee uh, replacement. Uh, it's nothing new. It's a very common, uh, common surgery. I will, I, I th I'm going to miss a couple of uh, shows, but we'll, we'll bank some stuff and I'll let you know uh, how it goes. But you know, these are the, you know, these are the things that happen when you are a, uh, a, a, a 52-year-old gentleman and certainly somebody who has played uh, sports sports over the years. And uh, I am excited about it in the sense that, look, nobody likes to go under the knife. Nobody likes to get, you know, uh, go under anesthesia. But from a quality of life perspective, I'm excited to not have to hobble around. And, you know, it was getting to the point where I'm limping all over the place. And it really was, like I said, affecting my quality of life. Now, this doesn't mean that I can get up when this is all done and run around and, and be as nothing before, but it is going to solve some of the, uh, some of the problems. And, uh, I will, you know, if people are interested, I'll take people through it as we, uh, as I get closer and uh, closer and closer. It's about an hour surgery. They have incredible robots now that do it all, uh, um, with the uh, machines that they have. I'll have a nice 
scar and I'll be, they get you right up on your feet immediately and they get you, uh, get you moving. My, I, I mentioned Stu Holden who had like 15 surgeries or something like that. He actually has had this. He's much younger than, than me. So he's had it at a much earlier age, but, uh, I've talked to a bunch of different people and a bunch of soccer people, um, have actually already had this and there's not a single one that said that they re they regret it because it uh it really got them back to a place where that quality of life was improved and that's something that i want to do uh going forward so i'll let you know how it goes but i might be missing some shows here coming up because uh i will be in pain and i'll be on some heavy meds which might be awesome in terms of doing a show so maybe we'll get my get me going uh go, going when i'm uh, all hopped up Frankly, given some of your takes sober, it'll be <laughs> virtually indistinguishable. Oh, my goodness. All right. So anyway, I'm going to be uh, bionic. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. Uh, we got all sorts of stuff, like you mentioned, through the show to watch this weekend. So there's all sorts of uh, soccer going on. Uh, it's really fun. And uh, as we also mentioned, MLS is right around the corner. Um, uh, with the uh, with the kickoff, I mean, you're 10 days away with the new season. So we will be doing uh, next week some different previews and just, you know, giving you a top line type of preview. Of what's to, what's happening? Lots of teams, lots of new players. Uh, it is upon us and it's going to be exciting. You know, it's, it's near and dear to me. It is La Cosa Nostra. It is it is our league and going into this new frontier, if you will, when it comes to MLS, both on and off the field, leading up to 2026 and all sorts of stuff that's going on. They, they put out the list of commentating teams and I got a big kick out of it. It said Kevin Costigan, <laughs> typo on the name. So I texted, have I, have I been calling you by the wrong name all these years? But it was a typo. They fixed it later on in the day. Keith, really? Keith Costigan. He should, you know, it's, uh, well, it, it should go to, you know, like his stage name. You know, you get to change it. You know, yeah. this is, everything is everything is new here. All right. We will talk to you again next week here on the on State of the Union. Keep downloading and subscribing and rating and doing all the different, uh, different things that you do. Thanks to Carlos and Ant-Man for uh, sending in their questions on the State of the Union podcast hotline. Again, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Mossy, myself, and my bum knee, we will talk to you again next week on the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>